You are listening to the Audacious Ecosystem, the show where we learn together what it takes to make an ecosystem great from the leaders in your organizations around us. Lima. Hello. Hi. <laughs> For those people listening at home that maybe don't know you just yet, but may they're definitely be interested in knowing you because you're an amazing human. Um, can you maybe share with us a little bit about your life history in Afghanistan? Uh, my name is Lima Madumi. Uh, you can call me, of course, Lima. It's, uh, um, I was born and raised in Afghanistan. I was born in Kabul, in the capital. I was raised there. I did my schooling there. I did my university there, my bachelor degree. And uh, I, I, I uh, uh, studied like for 12 years in Afghanistan with in a woman uh, school, like in a girls school. In Afghanistan, the male and female schools are separated. So we are not studying in a joint uh, schooling environment. Even before it was like we study in different schools. There are girls schools and boys schools. I studied in a girls school. And I was also graduated from Cardan University. I did a Bachelor of Computer Science uh, from uh, one of the private universities, which is Cardone. I, uh, 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 and uh, I have been also actively working uh, while studying and uh, uh, because in Afghanistan, you, you, you have an opportunity to study in the evening hours. So like after working hours, so I was working and I was also studying. So yeah, so I had quite a uh, experience and that's one of the reasons that is making me really sad looking back because all these years because I, when they used some I was just five years old when they uh, come in 2000 I was five oh. years old yeah so I was five years old and then like I grew up in this time period where the the uh, the Taliban was not there and then the schooling was starting and all of these things so so I was like, all this, this was uh, my life experience. I studied, I worked, I, I grew up in that environment. And then suddenly it all changing was a big hit. I think it would be a great place to also um, offer some perspective. Because uh, you said that when you were five years old, um, also Americans came to Afghanistan. Um, Maybe can you share with us what just what that actually meant for you, for your family? What were the differences before that with how your life looked like? Yeah, I don't remember a lot from the before that because I was just five years old. So I was very little. But the only experiences that I remember that my mother also said, as a child, I was very afraid of Talibs. Taliban. I, I'm not sure if I could say that, but I was really afraid of them. So because my mother said the story that once I was two, three years old, and whenever I would hear that that they are outside the house, so I'll be start screaming and hiding inside, like under the bed or somewhere. I will be trying to hide as a kid. And uh, one day my father come, and he was like 
oh no, it, it's not happening like this. I, I'm, I'm not accepting this. It will, it, it, it's like she is way too scared and someday she might see them on the street and she, it might affect her mentally and physically and all. So he took me and he, he took me and he went next to their cars because I'm also coming from a Pashtun background. My, my parents are originally Pashtuns. So uh, my father went to them and they, he spoke with them in Pashto and he said, like, my daughter, she's extremely scared of you and she's just three years old. And when she hears your name, she just runs and she cries and she screams and she hides. So he was like, oh, you don't have to be scared. And he tried to like pamper me a little bit and like, it's fine. The Talib was there and he was trying to like say these sweet things to make me uh, uh, like, comfortable that was one of the experience and the second experience that i remember was like as a child i i used to be like the tv when we used to watch tv so you were not allowed to have a tv at home that's because i like tv i, I love to watch what's in tv so we didn't have any mm -hmm. channels or anything but we could have the vr vcr like like the, the, the tapes and the, the things to, to watch films and stuff so we had TV at our home, but it was hidden. So it was in a room which was all covered. It, it didn't have window, the room. And and we have to go to that room and the windows should be closed. And you know, we were risking our life having that because if we would be catch having that, we could be in prison. So we were hiding it in that uh, place. You know, I, I, I remember one of these houses that I had and I, we had a room it had windows for the street, but small windows on, on the upper side. So I was, the Talib come and knocked on the door and he was like, my uncle went and he was like, we, we know you have a TV at your home and you have like tapes or like these tapes that you have to put music. And we heard that you have something and my uncle no, we don't have any of those things. And, and I was looking from that window, standing on something, <laughs> looking from that window outside. And, and I was so scared, remembering that if they come inside and they check our house, they will find out. About that. So these were some of the experiences as a child that I had. And that's why I was extremely scared of them when they come out in 2021. Because I still have that fear that if I face them, what will happen? Like, because I don't know, maybe because I was, because I, I haven't faced them in 2021. But like, I, I, I just have this fear in me and I'm like I don't know maybe as a child my childhood memories are somewhere there but also that uh, the U.S. Um, bombards that were happening with their planes that were like happening and uh, I remember that like we had this thing that you will hear the, the, the sound of the plane the, the sound that the plane is coming and then after a few seconds there will be big sound of the bombs that will be dropped so like if you hear the sound of the plane, after a few minutes, you will have the sound of the bombs. So as a kid, I would like, we, we, we were not uh, sleeping in the main room. We had to sleep in the corridor because it was inside and it didn't have window. So if a bomb dropped in our yard or somewhere, so like the windows or the glasses could not uh, like uh, harm us. So we were not allowed to sleep inside the rooms. We had to sleep inside the corridors and so many nights I would not sleep a 
Anna will be like, whenever I will hear the sound of a plane, I knew that after that there will be a sound of a bomb. So like in 2001, I was six years old. In 2000, I was like five years old. And they were like, if there is a sound of like plane, there is a sound of bomb. After when all of this finished for years, whenever I would hear a plane, I would be expecting a bomb after, a sound of a bomb. So because there is a plane, there is always a bomb. For years, it was like a horrible experience. Deeply sorry that that was your individual experience when you were growing up. I'm sorry you had to go through that, uh, but I think it was an experience which contributed to the person that you have built yourself into. Um, and I think it was an experience which actually added towards your career development, because one of the first things uh, that I wanted to touch on in your career path was that at some point you worked at an organization called Tech Women for a little bit, um, where you supervised and you managed the curriculum and the trainings for um, education for women in STEM. Um, while, were, while you were over there, um, what was something that surprised you or inspired you while you were working on the empowerment of women and girls in their careers? What really always surprised me about women is the enthusiasm that they have for the education and becoming someone that they want to be. That's something that always surprised me. It, it's not anything that I'm trying to be biased, but honestly, man doesn't have the same enthusiasm that a woman has when it comes, at least in Afghanistan, when it comes to the education sector. Especially with me, for example, uh, when I was working with Tech Women and we were having these trainings and these curriculums and all of these, these uh, we had a lot of things. We had one project where we were uh, like trying to help women to write articles and these things. So we had interns where they were uh, supposed to write a lot of articles and things. So in all of that, I seen them. I've seen them for like for all like for one year. We had this very big project where there were thirty women, and they were like extremely enthusiastic about what they wanted to be and how they wanted to improve. That's a huge excitement. Of course, I I I have to touch on the fact that the number of women in STEAM is much less than the number of men. Like like it's it's all over the world, but in Afghanistan, it's considerably smaller than the men. Graduating from Bachelor of Computer Science, we only had seven women in our bachelor program. Out of those seven women, only two of us continue to be in this area. The rest, five, changed their profession. So it's considerably uh, like smaller groups of women and then they are becoming uh, more enthusiastic about stuff to be like to be in scene, to, to work with technology, to have a lot of technological experiences, and to have the same spark because it, it's also because 
there isn't a lot of things for women interested in Afghanistan. So that's also one of the things that they are not that. And if you are in that area, you have to be working a full-time job, which for an Afghan woman is very difficult because she's expected to be at home, to be taking care of the kids and all of these things. And I think you said there's something that's extremely important in order to also offer a little bit of a perspective for our conversation as well. This is not a trend that's only happening in one place of the world. It's a worldwide trend. Um, personally, I've been involved in um, organizing a conference on that matter. Uh, it's called WIDS, Women in Data Science, uh, which also promotes um, the participation of women in STEM activities. Uh, it's a conference from Stanford. I highly suggest anybody uh, attempts to join uh, this conference. It's an amazing opportunity to meet absolutely fascinating individuals working in STEM. But during that time at Tech Women, um, did you get that picture solely in Afghanistan or did you start to form that picture of women women's wish to participate in stem fields also from other countries or solely from afghanistan well i would say from my current experience for example in geneva university where i am at the moment studying my master it's uh, the uh, centre informatique de l'université de genève which is the technological center of the geneva university where i am doing my master uh, the number of females that I've seen, even here, is much smaller than the number of males. For example, in so many of my classes, maximum two women, or three women. Like, uh, the, the, I have only one class that we have three women. The rest, all other classes, we are just two, or or one, or two, or one. Like that, that's that's the case almost almost everywhere. I would. So it's not just Afghanistan, but it's a general term. But in Afghanistan, much more because uh, it's like much more a conservative country. So these types of jobs are not considered as womanly, if I would say so. So they would they don't really like that many women. I uh, if if I may share an experience, it was um, I was working in IT. I was in, working in network, although it's not my area, but there was an office and I was working in IT. So uh, I was basically responsible for a whole network and I was the only one who was working in IT. And then I was trying to change the internet connection of the company because the previous uh, provider was not giving the same bandwidth that they were promising. So I was asking for a change. And then this new company came and I was having and they were trying to install the new internet. And I went on rooftop to fix the antenna with them. And they were looking at me and they were like, but you don't, you're not supposed to come on the rooftop with us. I was like, why not? And they were like, you were the first female we are seeing in the IT and we are working with a lot of these organizations and you are coming on the rooftop to fix the antenna. I was like, if I don't come, how I make sure that you are, you are installing it appropriately and I won't have any problem in the future. And it was like, yeah, you could just maybe go to the first roof and you don't have to come to the top one because then you're too high and you're on like rooftop. And he was like, you're not tired. I 
No, I would have been scared of going on the rooftop to fix that for the internet. I think that story illustrates exceptionally well how uh, there are inherent biases at the moment, which obviously should not be there, uh, towards uh, women in STEM. Uh, and that's a topic which I want to dive a little bit deeper into. But for the moment, just to go back on one thing you said a little bit earlier, um, you said that you also worked at Tech Nation. Um, I believe that was somewhere around 2018 to 2019. Uh, just to help us a little bit better, because I, I also have an, um, a high level of interest in the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems uh, around the world, and I just want to understand a little bit better. What was the entrepreneurial ecosystem of Afghanistan like? at the time that uh, you worked there? Because I imagine from your responsibilities, you got a chance to get a pretty good image, a high-level image of what the situation is in Afghanistan. So can you just share with us a little bit how that landscape looked like at that moment in time when you were there? It was quite awesome. A lot of youth were interested in starting their own businesses than working for someone else. I had so many friends that quit their jobs and started working as uh, entrepreneurs and started their own businesses. And th there were a lot of other programs, like one of, uh, there were some programs that Tech Nation was also having for, for having more entrepreneurs to start and like giving them some mentorships and guiding them toward uh, how to start their businesses, from where to start, how does it go. There were another program, I think it's an international, but it was also in Afghanistan, they were like startup weekend. There was like startup weekend that we had, I, I, I had the pleasure of being a mentor in one of the startup weekend uh, uh, sessions that they have for one day, I don't, I don't remember exactly. So a lot of people, they were extremely interested in starting their own businesses. They will be like, having this idea, I want to do this, and they will be like uh, starting different ideas, working on them. So uh, the, the entrepreneurial uh, um, area in Afghanistan prior to the Taliban, and especially in the year 2018 and 2019 when I was with the nation and I, we were working with all this, there was a lot of entrepreneurs that uh, like trying to start their business, especially youth. They were like really interested in uh, starting their own businesses rather than working for a company or somewhere. They, they just wanted to have their own businesses. It sounds like the ecosystem in Afghanistan was booming at that moment. Everything was going well and it was growing. And within that period of prosperity, um, if I remember correctly, in 2019, you got an opportunity uh, which we've uh, foreshadowed a little bit in this conversation, and you moved to Switzerland to become a fellow at Internet Governance Forum. <sighs> Amazing opportunity. But during that time, what was for you that experience like? What was it like from your perspective with 
all of the changes that I suppose happened in your life at, the te- at that time in 2019? Actually, uh, w- when I received, uh, w- w- so, so I received this email about the uh, Internet Governance Forum Secretariat having a fellowship for Afghans, especially they were emphasizing on women to apply for this. And uh, uh, because uh, I have worked with the Internet Governance Forum of Afghanistan because we, uh, as a part of the NRI, National Regional um, uh, Internet Governance Forums, we had Afghanistan Internet Governance Forum also. So I was uh, part of the Afghanistan Internet Governance Forum and we were working uh, with uh, with them. And uh, when, when I received the email and I applied for it and I, I received the call from Internet Governance Forum for like an interview sort of to have a talk with them and everything. I send my CV and everything. So, and then I receive a good news that I was accepted for the program and I could apply for a visa. First of all, I would say the visa process was head spinning. It was so complicated. It was so complicated that uh, even the uh, Internet Governance Forum Secretariat was surprised in Switzerland because I applied for, I sent my documents in April. I received mm-hmm. a response in mm-hmm. April. I think April of end of March, something like that, but start of April or end of March. And I sent all my documents and the invitation letter and everything to the, mm, to the uh, embassy because we don't have any embassy of Switzerland in Afghanistan. Uh, we had it in uh, Pakistan, so I was supposed to go to Islamabad for for the visa process. I uh, sent my document to Islamabad, and I asked them for a because then they ask you for an interview to come in and give the documents in person. And when I asked for the interview to go and give, I received the interview I think in the month of July. So. April, I sent an email and I received the interview in July, in 12th of July, I believe it was. So like, how many months there in between? And the IGF secretariat was like, we want you to join as soon as possible. And there was so much emphasizing on the fact that I have to join as soon as possible. Believe me, I was so scared that because of the visa process, I will lose this opportunity and they will be like, it's taking way too long. And we are not going to wait for you that long. But surprisingly, they were extremely supportive. And they were so, like, they, they were like, it's fine. Uh, we will wait for you. You could go and uh, you could apply. And I was so happy and so blessed because uh, the IGF Secretariat team was extremely supportive. And they were like, no problem. You could just go at the time of the interview. It's not a problem. And it's fine. So with with the IGF secretariat, it was it was it was really nice inside with the uh, uh, staff. They were very supportive, very helpful. They tried as best as they could. Uh, Anya, she was trying as best as she could to help uh, me find because they also have uh, this website that you could find from you in the apartments and everything. But uh, with all that, it was very difficult for me to adjust with this big change because I was coming from a country like Afghanistan and then coming to a country like Switzerland and figuring out everything, for example, how to use the bus system. I didn't know how to use the bus system 
in Afghanistan we don't have that so I, I really didn't know and because I was in hostel I had a plus point because there were some students I could ask and then they told me what to do and everything or uh, I was way too lonely because making friends in Switzerland is a very big thing it's very difficult to make friends in Switzerland uh, because it's, it, it, in general Culturally, they are like that. They, they normally the friends that they are having are not from uh, like they have this. Um, I would say they are a little bit reserved in making friends. So normally you have to be introduced by someone, and then that someone will introduce you with like you get you have to get introduced, and you can't just make friends. They they don't talk with you or stuff like that. You have to be. Someone has to fit you into the circle. <laughs> Otherwise, and I heard that it's more because they are doing this because of the politeness, because uh, uh, they uh, they they think that if they don't know the culture of that country that that person is coming from, so they might be a little disrespectful toward the uh, the culture or something because they don't know and they try to be as polite as possible. Well, uh, that's a lot. Uh, and that sounds like quite an adventure just to start the process of moving. In 2019, you moved to Switzerland. 2020 comes, and um, we all know what happened with COVID. And then 2021 comes, and we know what happened in Afghanistan. Uh, over a period of a few weeks, uh, the U.S. left the country, and within a matter of weeks or rather days, uh, the Taliban took over. And I remember that moment from my experience, just being online at that time, uh, seeing videos of people, of hundreds and thousands of people jumping the fences at airports, just trying to get a chance to get out of the country at that time. And there were thousands of people just attempting to find a plane or any way to get out. At that time, from what I understand, you were in Switzerland. But your family wasn't in Switzerland. Did any of your loved ones then or afterwards have a chance to leave the country? What was the situation like for them? Uh, when, when the, uh, you, you, I, I think you mentioned a very good point about the fact that people were going and trying to leave, even going over the fences and everything. I think that, that makes a very great point about the horror of the people of like having Taliban back. So, like, how much people of Afghanistan were scared that they were ready to risk their life at that point, but just to be able to leave the country. So, like, Taliban, just to be clear, Taliban was never the choice of the Afghan people, and they never choose them. And that by itself shows how scary it was for them. Coming to the second thing that you said about my family, yes, my family was in Afghanistan. My whole uh, uh, like 
apart from my distant family, my, my mother and my sister was in Afghanistan. And uh, first thing, I don't have any brother and we are just two sisters. And my father also died in 2014. So it was just my sister and my mother in Afghanistan. And being two women in Afghanistan, like for me, being here, just thinking about the fact that Taliban will be here and my sister was at the last semester of her university and she was supposed to finish her university and she was waiting for exams to finish the university and my mother was also working my mother is uh, my, my mother works so just thinking about the fact that the Taliban will come and they will take over and my family will be there two women that they won't be able to work and how they are supposed to feed themselves how they are supposed to prepare something for themselves to eat if they are not supposed to work. My sister is not supposed to study. Just thinking about that, my, my mother was trying to give me like, like, it's fine, it's fine, but I was way too, too sad and scared. So I started this thing to start sending emails to anyone possible that I could imagine. So all of these organizations that I have worked with prior to coming here, which was including U.S. I work with USAID. I work with Denmark. I work with all of these international organizations, and I was sending emails to all these embassies and asking them for help. Like I sent email also to Switzerland embassy because I was here that if they could help with my family to come to Switzerland. But uh, the only thing that Switzerland embassy told me is that they do not have any evacuation plans, so they cannot. Because in one of the projects that I work, I work with Swiss Development Cooperation in Afghanistan. So uh, I, I worked in a project with Swiss Development Cooperation. So I was like, yeah, I worked with Swiss and my family is there. Well, the uh, U.S. Embassy, they told me that they could do it because I was uh, eligible for uh, a few visa programs that they had because I worked with USAID. So they, they uh, said, well, you are eligible, but you are not in the country yourself. So we cannot help your family because they didn't work it was you who worked and you are not in the country and you are in safety so we can't help your family and i was thinking at that point if there would be a way that i could return to afghanistan just to help my family so because i worked in all these organizations so if because of me they could go somewhere but it was not happening and then one of my aunts she worked uh, she was a journalist and at that point one of the biggest category that was under threat was journalists and she had previously sent some emails to Canadian embassy for helping her to get out of the country so she received an email from Canadian embassy asking her to come with all her family all her loved ones and family it doesn't matter if it's sister if it's like as long as she could come with them, they will accept them and we could send their names and they, they had these forms. They, they were very complicated forms. And I had to uh, sit for 24 hours without sleeping to fill those forms for them because they were at home and I have a huge family because my aunts, my uncles, all of them wanted to come with that process. And it was possible for my that aunt who was a journalist to put them in, in those farms because the Canadian embassy gave them that form. 
and that you could put your brothers, sisters, uh, niece and nephews, anyone you want, uh, but you have to fill these forms and you have to state all their information and everything and you have to send. And the forms were way too, for one person, I have to fill three forms, each form three pages. So like I had 11 people that I have to fill those forms for because they didn't have a stable internet. So I have to fill those forms, write letters and everything. I have to do all that and I have to send it from my aunt's email to the embassy. And after like five days, like there were five days left until end of August, they received an invitation to go to the uh, airport. To go to the airport in that whole mess and to cross and to leave the country. And the, the, the thing which was, um, my, my grandma, she is in wheelchair and one of my uncles has babies, like he, his youngest child was three years old. So having these little kids with you and an elderly woman in wheelchair to cross that mist that was around the airport and go inside the Canadian embassy was impossible. And when they uh, uh, went, the first day that they tried to go, they managed to cross, they went from an, they went like, middle of the night, like I don't know, at nine o'clock at night, and they were able to cross there at four o'clock in the morning and, and, and just go to the door of the airport to be able to enter. But the thing was that when they went there, the documents that they have that were giving them permission to enter, in that document, one of my uncle's documents, they were, they were not accepting that because his name was not in their document. And I was in communication with one of these guys in Qatar because Canadians were uh, working from Qatar and they were having this, this whole process. And I was sending him a message that they are not letting my family to enter. And, and, and he was like, but I sent their names. There must be, but it was a chaos. So in that chaos, maybe the Canadian forces, they, they were there was so much chaos that they were not able to check properly the names and everything so they could. And he, that guy from Qatar was telling me that actually I sent their names and he was like, okay, write all their names again and I'm going to resend it right now and I'm going to resend it to them so that they could be let to enter the... But until he sent the names and everything, the Canadian forces entered back inside the airport and they closed the door and they didn't let my family to they were only letting a few of my family members, but they were like, if you're not letting all of us to enter, then we are not going only two, three of us, because then it's like not good, because if two, three goes and the rest is outside, it doesn't make sense. So they, they went to three times again after that. And then uh, on the day of the blast, that there was a blast also happened in that area. The blast, I think, happened in the evening. My family was in exact same area in the morning, trying to enter to the airport, but they were not able to enter. But at the end, they couldn't enter to the airport, and then they went to. But all borders were also closed, so they couldn't go anywhere. Then they. There was the only border that was the border of Spinbolak, which is in Kandahar province of Afghanistan. So if you could go there, and you could bribe some money to the 
please to the guards over there or you could manage to speak with them they might have let you enter to the Quetta, Quetta province of Pakistan I don't know if it's a state or a province but they were letting you there so my family booked a car they went to Kandahar and from Kandahar they somehow it was so difficult for them but they somehow managed to enter Pakistan and the only good thing was they all had visas in their passport Pakistan visa because a few days before that my sister was sick and they were trying to take her to Pakistan so they all had visa for Pakistan only a few children like small children they didn't have but it didn't so they managed to go to Pakistan then to Islamabad they, they went and uh, they, they went there and I start emailing and calling Canadian authorities to let them enter because when they were in Afghanistan they received their permanent residency they were still in Afghanistan but they, they received a permanent residency from Canadians and then the Canadian embassy they really helped them there they helped them because they were inside Pakistan illegally basically they had visa but their passport didn't have entry of the country there was not entry stamp so then the Canadian embassy and the IOM IOM they helped them to somehow like the Canadian was giving them the visa that was not a problem but then leaving the Islamabad airport without having the entry of Pakistan was impossible for that then IOM had to prepare all this documentation for them to, to basically go even one of the IOM authorities went with them to the airport to help them get into plane because they were not allowed to leave uh, Pakistan because they were not legal basically but luckily they managed to leave the country and go to Canada I'm just I'm just amazed at the story you just shared and how incredibly complicated it was just to have a chance to leave the country and be able as a whole family to have a chance to start a new life in on your terms uh, but we've touched on a lot of things during this whole conversation and I just want to reiterate one point um, this is a highly political conversation and it has a lot of political subtext but at the end of the day it's neither about whatever faith or political uh, beliefs you may have at the end of the day it's about the individuals that actually have these experiences right now and I just cannot put myself in your position I can maybe try to uh, uh, try to imagine how that would feel like but I just have to ask you in 2021 when everything you just shared was happening when you were well pretty much technically stranded in uh, Geneva because I'm not sure you if that was necessarily an option to go back to Afghanistan how that how did that feel like I was devastated believe me like I, I didn't know what happened because it happened so quickly 
I, I was like, what's happening? Why did if we would have had any idea that this would happen, this would happen, my family would have left Afghanistan prior to Taliban coming. They might have, they had Pakistan visa. They would be in Pakistan at least. That was better than at that point being. Yes, of course, nothing happened in terms of the fact that the in media that thing happened, but inside country a lot happened because uh, uh, I know it's a very political thing to say, but media in Afghanistan is being controlled at the moment. My aunt was a journalist, and we know how much the media is controlled at the moment. They are not allowed to say certain things because if they say it, they are risking their life. Even at that point when the Taliban come, the, the country, the, what, what was happening, it was not actually what was showing on the TV because the media was being controlled and they were not allowed to really show the actual things. Like the local media was being controlled and the international media was scared because they, the, the person who is inside the country, they don't know what will happen to them. So I was actually devastated. I was so scared. I, I, like, I, I went for, like, I remember one of these days that I was sending all these emails and emails and emails, and no one was responding. I even started having these interviews with, like, um, Indian media and all of these other medias trying to ask them for help to help my family leave the country any way possible. They just helped them to go out of the country. And I asked for all these journalists and international media if they could help. And, and I was also scared that when I'm sharing this strong uh, political opinion, it might affect my family and they might find my family. Of course, they cannot do anything with me, but they might find my family and what will be. So I was doing all these interviews, but then I was asking these media channels that you could blur my face, please, or you could just do something for my, uh, like, just, I don't want to be shown because of my family. It's not that I personally am here, I'm safe, but my family is not safe. So you just blur my face because no one see or don't say my name because my last name is my family's last name. So it could be like they could be found or there could be anything so like I was just like I had this email sending to all these uh, organization and asking for help and no one was responding and I was calling emailing and everything but I was not receiving any calls and I started screaming and crying at my room and I didn't know what to do I didn't have any sleep I would be behind my laptop from one o'clock like uh, like from uh, until 1, 1 a.m., from like 4, 5 a.m. until 1 a.m. Every day for like five, six days consecutively, just trying to, I send emails to any organization, to any embassy that I could have imagined. I even called Netherlands embassy and I asked them because they had an evacuation plan and I asked them, can you please evacuate my family from Afghanistan and then I will take them to Switzerland. You don't have to take them to Netherlands, but just because you have an evacuation plan, you just bring them until uh, Netherlands. I will take them back to Switzerland. I called the uh, German embassy. I called France embassy. I was also very lucky that I had 
all of these very supportive friends that I have at the moment, they were from different European countries, like they were from France, Italy, and, and on behalf of me, most of them start sending emails to their embassies and even sending their IDs and passport asking for help for my family. Because those countries had a very broad and big evacuation plan and they had uh, people that they were evacuating and they had their planes going to the country. So they were asking them, can you help? Even one of my friends, she's Canadian, she was my roommate and, and she sent her passport and everything here in Switzerland to the Canadian embassy and asking for help for my family. I'm sincerely sorry that's something that you had to experience and I'm sorry that is a reality that people have actually deal with. I hope by shedding light on your actual experiences we might be able to at least make it a little bit more known what it's actually like as we talk a lot about the politics and what's happening at the macro level but I think we're kind of missing what's happening at an individual level and at an individual level there's been a lot of changes and I think we're, we're playing around this topic but I think we should seriously dive into why it was such a big deal uh, when the government changed and what it actually meant for people in the country and especially for women and the rights of women. Can you maybe share a little bit about what were the changes since 2021 in Afghanistan? One of the considerable change is the uh, fact that women are not allowed to go to school. Women are not allowed to work. Women are not allowed to do basically anything. They are just uh, inside their homes. They don't know. They don't do anything. That's one of the very considerable changes. And the fact that you say that they, the Taliban are like inside, uh, why there was like this much, uh, the change was, why like the people were not really accepting the fact that this change was happening. Because of their history, like the Taliban history in Afghanistan, the fact that they were in Afghanistan for five years and and people know that, like a lot of people were at that time and they know what was happening. And after that, for 20 years, they, I had the same conversation yesterday with one of my friends and I was like, for 20 years, they killed us. They had all these attacks and everything and they killed us for 20 years. And for 20 years, if all offices, all international organizations where I even worked, they all had bankers and they were all ready or the fact that if they are being attacked by any suicide bombers or anyone, so they could put their staff inside those bunkers. So that fear that I experience every day, unlike me, thousands of other Afghans, the, and it, it's because of them. They were the reason that we were having those fears and those sorts of experiences. The fact that we were scared that we will lose our, our rights, especially women, they, 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 they know that they will lose all uh, their rights and their, like, they, they come and they, the first thing they, they did was, like, introducing this whole new sort of clothing uh, um, structure, 
I don't know, the whole new uh, clothing thing that you have to wear, this type of clothes to go out or to be even outside or to be even like, uh, for example, in school or anywhere, because at start there were a few schools, at least the university were open and they were people that were going to the university. So they're like, you have to wear the special. And as I mentioned at the start of our talk, like in Afghanistan, the women and uh, the girls and boys schools are separated. So I, I don't understand because in girls school in Afghanistan, the teachers are also women. And it's not like a, like there is very rare that in girls school, there will be a man teacher. At least in school, in the school that I studied, it was all women starting from the principal until until the last person in the school. The only people who were like men, it was the security guard in front of the, the door that were like helping uh, them to helping the women like to go to school and they close the door and all of these things. That was the only person in the whole school that was a man. And the whole school was a woman's school. So it was never this fact that it's not uh, conservative enough because it was already very conservative. So there was no point. That was basically the fact that women are not allowed to do. And, and for me, it's quite surprising because for them, the most important thing in a government is women. And I sometimes laugh about the fact that I'm like, if the wom- there, wo- there weren't be any women in Afghanistan, what will be the topic that Taliban will discuss in Afghanistan? Because that's the most important thing for them. How does the woman dress? Where does the woman go? What does the like they, they, they are not allowed to go to any park they are not allowed to go to uh, outside like at certain things they, not, not even taxis are stopping for women to pick them up if they are alone what they are wearing how they are going outside how like like everything for why they are going to school why they are going to university closing the university doors for women, closing the school doors for women, not letting them to work. Even recently, they start asking UN to not let women work. And I, I read this this uh, UN woman uh, statement that was about this uh, topic that the UN women released a statement and they were like, no, we are not accepting this and women should be allowed to. So for them, it's not important that 90% of the population is dying because of hunger. There is no food. People are dying because of hunger. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that a woman is going, working, and making some money and helping her family to eat. Families like my family, where we don't have men, how we are supposed to eat? If my mother doesn't work, how we are supposed to eat? I don't have father, I don't have a brother, I, I, and I think that shouldn't be the requirement of living in a society, to have a man in your family. And that's basically the life at the moment for women. That, that's just, it's pretty hard to even wrap your mind around this whole situation if you never had to 
encounter such a situation beforehand. And uh, as you stated previously, Afghanistan was in already in a somewhat conservative position. But since then, as far as my research uh, has enlightened me on this subject, there's been other changes, not only in women's rights, but also in how the media works and how the judicial system works and the education that you have access to. And I'm not sure if you, I, I suppose you still have some contacts in Afghanistan, maybe some people that maybe even work in technology or some women that used to work in technology. And I have to ask, how has their life inside the country changed in the past years? I would say uh, uh, it, it's not a woman, but it's a male friend of mine. Uh, last year, he, he was supposed to go to, uh, he, he's at the moment, uh, he was also part of the Internet Society of Afghanistan. So um, he was invited for the IGF uh, in Addis Ababa, I think, last year in Ethiopia. So he, he received his visa, this like, electronic visa, and he was supposed to go to the IGF last year. And uh, he told me that they were not letting him to leave the airport. And, and he was, he's a male. And when he went to the airport to read, at first, they were giving them all, giving him all these excuses that your visa is e visa, and they will not allow you with this, and all of these things, and and there were like so many excuses for him to just leave the country, and he said it was very difficult because I asked him that this year in Japan, the the, the Japan IGF, is he coming? And he was like, last year it was a very difficult. It was extremely difficult for me to go to Ethiopia. I don't know if I will be able to go to the Japan IGF this year because I don't even know if they will let me to leave the airport. Because last year I have to like call a lot of my contacts, a lot of these people to just let me leave the airport. And I also know that for women, for example, they are not letting also women, even if they are going, for example, having these visas for a lot of these countries to leave, they cannot leave. They are, uh, from the airport, they are like, no, you cannot leave, you have to go back. So th this is some one of the things that they are like, not a lot about it, but they are not le letting people to leave. I have another friend, he is there, he had a big business, he was in entrepreneurial things and and his business did really good. He was in telecom and these things. And uh, it has been like, since the start of Taliban, he's, he's trying to leave. But what they did, he sees his account and they are telling him, if you leave, we are not giving you any of your money or investments that you did. And he's basically stuck in the country because he had all this investment on all that money in the country. And he had to somehow manage and stay in the country and still work although he wants to leave, but he cannot leave. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot to take in, and it's a lot to even try to comprehend that that would be possible, but 
sadly it is possible and sadly that is reality that some people are right now actually dealing with in such a situation most often than not um, the young bright people such as yourself will most often leave the country leaving a huge hole huge resulting in a huge level of brain drain in the country when that happens the country doesn't go all that well in the near future um, but for the technological landscape that we talked about earlier I just have to ask were there some changes in how people use technology in history so far we've seen that technology has been used for um, helping out citizens and you've talked about your conversations that you've had with people that are still in the country but I have to wonder given the propensity towards imposing a particular view on the media and not allowing particular types of contents either via um, particular acts toward journalists which uh, take whom take uh, another view uh, compared to the government have there been any changes in the online landscape of Afghanistan have there been any limitations in terms of individual access to the internet have there been any changes in what you can where you can go online or what you can access they arrested a few YouTubers that were in Afghanistan. They were arrested. And for days, uh, the families didn't know what happened to them. For example, one of these guys that were having this fashion YouTube that he was showing the Afghan clothes and everything. And like he had like some females also having the, basically some fashion shows, like having, you know, and he had a YouTube channel. He was arrested. He was arrested from his home and then uh, after like 10 days no one know for 10 days what happened to him and after 10 days he come back and the, he made a video back in his youtube channel and he apologized for everything that he was doing for the fashion shoes and surprisingly no one know why he apologized maybe uh, like my assumption personally is that he was threatened and he was asked to do those apologies basically he was forced to do that he might have been beaten like a, like i don't know I, I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for him and then he had to do this apology and say i'm so sorry for all my contents they were not really good they were not good for the society and all of these things and uh, he said i'm safe nothing has happened to me they, they didn't do anything to me like yes they talked to me but they didn't do anything to me and i'm good everything is good that's all uh, and that was his video so like him a lot of other people were arrested because of their social media and everything and the same thing has uh, happened to them. and secondly uh internet cost in afghanistan is very high it it has always been a very high uh, like of course uh Compared to the income of a family, it's a very high uh, cost. It's, it's because
because we cannot really compare it with Western countries because the income is also higher. And in Afghanistan, the income is not that much. And then the, the internet cost has always been very high in Afghanistan. So to, to begin with, they didn't have that uh, Afghans, uh, like access to internet was not as easy. Of course, there were youth and these people that they, they always had access to internet. They would find some ways like offices on all of them or always said or they will buy mobile data or these things that they somehow managed to have like uh, access but now even the poverty itself is having a huge effect on the uh, internet so like not a lot of people at the moment are having internet access because it costs they don't have money to begin with to, to even buy that subscription or to buy that mobile data or to buy anything like to to, to have internet secondly the, the fact that people are being threatened if you do anything a little bit out of context like a, a little bit out of the thing that you say something about Taliban or you share something and they figure it out who you are you will be arrested they, they will come on they will just arrest you and you will disappear for like a like a few days and then you will come back and uh, no one knows what happened to you and that time that you disappear if you talk about that time what happened you're still inside the country and anything could happen again to you. so they, they basically has to like just say okay everything was good they didn't do anything to me and each one of them when they are coming back after this arrest that's happening and they are coming back the same thing is happening it's like a cycle they are coming and then they are making this video and then they are saying i'm sorry and nothing happened to me i'm safe everything is good and basically that's the cycle and a lot of these a lot of these youtubers or these people who were having social media accounts they had the same experience it's happening and they have to then be careful about what they are posting and now they are not really posting that much because they are scared they could be arrested at any moment i i can imagine given that those people have been arrested in one capacity or another uh there were actual attempts to speak up about uh what was happening or what is happening uh in the country uh, my question would be, have there been any protests, like public protests about what is happening within the country? If you remember, uh, after Taliban uh, come, there were like a group of women that they were doing these protests, like a lot of women were doing these protests, and there were a lot of online campaigns also from a lot of these influential Afghans that were around the world and they were starting these campaigns and doing all of these things but what happened to those women is I, I don't know if you know those women who were doing uh, the protest most of them were arrested or like there were some of them like there were a few videos also uh, that uh, a few of them while uh, the knock started happening on their doors at the middle of the night and someone was happy coming behind their doors and knocking and everything so they made these videos at that moment the horror and everything and 
they posted them. So most of them were arrested. And then the same thing happened. They disappeared for some time. Most of those women, after the arrest, come and apologize. And they, one of the things that they said was that we were organized by one of uh, someone from outside the country. And actually, Taliban are not doing anything wrong. They are basically doing everything good. They are proper. They, nothing is happening. It's just that uh, uh, we were given some money from some outside community. And that's why we were protesting, but nothing was happening. And then uh, we, we, we were locked in a certain house or something. And then from that house that we were locked in, um, Taliban rescued us. And they helped us and they, they basically uh, did all of this. The, the Taliban were the one who helped us. And they said all of these things after being in Taliban prison basically for like 10 to 20 days. So no one knows actually what happened to them. One of these females that I know, she um, I don't know her personally, but I know some people that know her. So I heard some of the stories that... Uh, a lot had happened to her, and one of the reasons that she uh, come and apologized was because she didn't have any other option, basically, because they, like, they beat her really bad, like, really, really badly. In such a context, again, it is extremely sad from an individual perspective, whatever faith or political take we may have on this whole thing, we can all agree there is one document that was signed by most of the countries of the world called the uh, Declaration of Human Rights, which is currently not being respected, given maybe the saddest part of everything I've learned from this whole context, there's not even a chance to get an education anymore. And that may be the thing hurting everything the hardest, because uh, girls uh, now, there was this uh, case that you were talking about that women are no longer allowed uh, in transnational organizations such as the United Nations. But before, like before that, I think a year ago or two years ago, women are not even allowed to finish university anymore and even go to school. Like, school, just basic stuff which we take for granted in our Western world, but it's a right that is not being enforced in some parts of the world. From my research, I learned about some initiatives to <laughs> do education underground and even technological education for women underground. From your experience and from what you know, do you happen to know about any such initiatives and can you happen to share anything on this? Uh, I, I know a few. Basically, um, if I go a, uh, go a little to the back, when the first time Taliban came, the same thing happened. Um, I remember uh, I was four years old, I think. Um, UN had 
some of the, I think it was UNICEF, they had some of the underground courses, for example, that were basically at someone's house and you had to go to that person's house and you had to study. And because the risk was so big, first for the person who is hosting these courses and second for the children that are going, especially the girls, young girls, to go there, that um, uh, UNICEF started giving food to the people who are going. So whoever sent their children there, the UNICEF was giving them bread. So like if your girl is coming here, we are giving you food. And uh, for example, if uh, uh, like uh, also to the person who is hosting in their house, they were giving them a lot of money to have them in their house. And when I was four years old, my mother, uh, my mother has a lot of education. She studied two universities and for her education is like basically the most important thing. And uh, uh, she always wanted us to study to the best possible, that like as much as we want to study, she, she always said, I will be there to support you. You go study, I'm there for you to support you. And she was the most, like, I'm so lucky having her because she was very supportive. And I was four years old. My mother was used to send me to those schools. And my father was not happy about that. And the reason behind that was because there was a lot of human trafficking at that time. So like the kids were being kidnapped out of their houses and then they will take them, not basically human trafficking, but the organ trafficking. So they were like, take them and then after a few days, their dead bodies will be found somewhere without some of their bodies organs. So some body organs will be taken out of their bodies and then their dead bodies will. So my father doesn't wanted me to go there. And the reason was that if something happened to her, if someone kidnapped her, if something happened to her, so what will happen? And my mother was like, I will take her and I will sit behind the school there, wait for her until she finished, and then I will take her back home. And my mother used to do that. So she will take me, she will sit there behind the school for as long as I was in that school. And then she will take, and I remember the school was in basement. So we had to go to the basement of that house to, to go and study there. And my mother will be sitting on the street waiting for me to finish and come back and go with her. So it has been always like this with Taliban. And at the moment, because the technology has improved much bigger, so they, some of these people who are inside the country or outside the country, they are basically hosting these online, online sort of courses. So they are trying to gather some funding from different places. They are sending that funding to country, for example, for their internet connection. Like we are buying you internet, you come online, and then there are Afghans or international people from different areas of the world that coming on Zoom on different calls and giving basically education online to them for their home. <laughs> That's the craziest thing I've ever heard about, and it's it's absolutely fascinating to even think when we were growing up that would even be possible, and I, I I'm just 
extremely happy to learn that there are such initiatives, again, not taking any political stand, but just from an individual perspective, offering on a volunteer basis the opportunity for education. And I think better than me making a statement, I think it would be more appropriate to give you the floor on that. You are also nowadays uh, part of the Afghan Students Association in Switzerland, where you are also trying to share Afghan culture. And after everything we've shared in this call, uh, I think the best, most appropriate way to uh, sum up our conversation would be to give you the floor and ask you what would you like people to know about Afghan women? So, uh, first of all, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity that you gave me. It's, it, 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 it's great because I think a lot of people know that what is happening in the country in general, but they do not know what is an individual perspective of the things that are happening inside the country. So this is a great opportunity because this gives an individual perspective, especially for people in technology, for women in STEM, for, for anyone who is in technology. What is life like for people who work all these years for technology in Afghanistan, for uh, entrepreneurial activities, anything related to, mm, uh, to, to, to have initiatives, to have different things, especially for women, how it is. So thank you so much. Uh, second of all, coming to the question about um, the what, what I want the world to know uh, about Afghanistan, I would basically say that Afghanistan is a beautiful country. We have a lot of history. We have a lot of culture. Uh, we were one of the ancient civilizations of the world. We were uh, like basically part of the Persian Empire. We were part of the uh, Indus Valley uh, civilization. We we have a lot of history in Afghanistan. We have a lot of culture. Each part of Afghanistan is a very diverse country. There is a lot of languages. There is a lot of culture. We, we, each part of my country is beautiful. There is uh, so much nature. It, it's full with nature and these valleys and beautiful mountains that we are having. Uh, the, the natural beauty of the country, the culture of the country which I think a lot of people doesn't know about, and they all uh, basically know about the war and the things that are happening, but they don't really know about how beautiful our dances are, how beautiful and colorful our clothes are, how beautiful our songs are, how beautiful our music is, how amazing our valleys are, how beautiful the mountains are, how much we have. We had a lot of international students coming to my country and studying there, especially the Kabul University. It was a very famous university in Asia and basically in the world. But now we are at a point when we were hosting the world to come and study in our university. At the moment, we are at the point that we cannot even host our own people, our own girls to study. So I would say look at Afghanistan from a different lens, look at Afghanistan from the lens of culture, nature, all of these things. It's a very beautiful country. 
Yes, we are struggling at the moment politically, but I am really hopeful that it will end and then the whole world will see how beautiful and how awesome Afghanistan is. Lima, on this show we have a tradition where before we finish up this interview, I have to ask you one last question. If you could remove just one boundary, only one thing that is holding your ecosystem back, what would you remove and why? I could remove one thing. That would be the barrier of education. I would really want the youth, the, the, the people of my country, to have the same experiences that any other child in the world is to study, to thrive, to have, to have the same experience that any other person in this world is having. I would love to do that because education is the future. If our children are educated now, they will, we will have a good future. But if we stop education now, we will never have a good future. And it's education that is giving us everything that, that, that we ever dreamed of as, as a country, as people. So that will be the only, like if I could, I have a lot of things that I would love to remove if I could, but the only one if I have to choose that will be the education. Because if a society is educated, the country thrives. If the society is not educated, the country goes downward and the same mentality will stay within the I absolutely love that answer and I couldn't be more grateful for the time you had to offer and to the fact that you are actively encouraging the conversation on what's happening and the fact that you are actually vulnerable and more importantly the fact that you had the courage to speak your own experiences about the life you've known and how it was for you and for that i am sincerely grateful thank you once again lima for coming here and i learned a lot and i'm sure other people have learned a lot from your experience and once again thank you so very much for your vulnerability and see you very soon You've been listening to The Audacious Ecosystem, the show where we learn together what it takes to make an ecosystem great from the leaders in the organizations around us.